When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. Welcome to the Whiskey, Jazz, and Leadership Podcast. Subscribe now so you don't miss a drop of straight talk you can't get anywhere else. We discuss the whiskeys to drink, music to listen to, and what it really takes to be an effective leader. I'm your host, Galen Bingham, the Leadership Strategist. Tonight's guest, certified executive coach, emotional intelligence meta coach, leadership speaker, and facilitator, Don Angelo Bivens. Hey, what you drink? Okay, so you, you, you guys know that I'm not playing around in season two. I'm just hitting you with the straight right off the bat. I am not disappointing with this guest. There are some folks that when you walk into a room, you don't quite know everyone. There's a presence that you feel and it's literally tangible. And when I walk into those situations, I find myself just kind of laying back and evaluating where this energy is coming from. Well, that that was the deal when I ran into this guy. You know, it took me a while and I was observing for a bit because, you know, I'm, I'm kind of measured in most situations. I usually don't get into anything that I don't have a good sense as to what's about to happen. And Don Angelo Bivens is the real thing. So, man, come on into the room. Let's get this started, man. Come on in. Dude, you are hilarious as always. <laughs> It's always good to be in your company, brother. Well, absolutely. Well, I'll tell you, man, you you're one of those one of those dudes that's always you're always in my mind. When I need to jump into something and make sure I jump in with both feet, I usually conjure up some Don Angelo Bivens. Well, I'm thankful that our the work that we did together has had a lasting impact. Absolutely. So let's get into some conversation, man, because I just love sharing with my audience just the folks I hang out with, right? These are just people that are in my contact list. I'm not reaching out, reaching for anybody special. These are just the dudes I know. We're going to get into some questions, but the first question. First question I got for you, have you added me to your board of directors yet? (laughs) We're going to get into that. All right, all right, all right. The first question, and because my audience is waiting for this, my question is, what you drinking? So I am a scotch connoisseur. I am drinking Oban 14 this evening. 
It has this hint of peatiness that I enjoy. I can't do too much more than this. After too much more than this, it tastes like medication to me. I'm a more refined, simple, smooth kind of guy. That even speaks to my presence. I got you. I got you. I, I knew you were coming, and I reached for some scotch. Uh, because I got like two or three bottles of scotch. I don't hit scotch a whole lot. I reached for some scotch and just decided that that was inauthentic. Uh, that would not be a true reflection of who I am and therefore be disrespecting to you and to my audience. So um, I went and got this Hill Rock, 1806 Hill Rock, Solera aged bourbon whiskey. This is out of New York. And there's a story behind this. The story behind this, I was first introduced to this uh, by my father-in-law. And I had just barely gotten into bourbon. He's got a spot up in New York. And so when I came to visit him, he he broke out this Hill Rock. It's, it's got this cool, this cool glass decanter. It looks serious. And he poured me a glass. And I'll tell you, at the time, my palate wasn't developed enough. And I did not enjoy it. It really reminded me a whole lot more of scotch than what I was appreciating. But that was several years ago. <laughs> And I have since, much like a Miles Davis sketches of Spain or uh, or bitches brew from Miles Davis or some some John Coltrane, I went back and checked this out again, and I, I was like embarrassed at my younger self. <laughs> so I'm gonna crack this open again. It's got this cool. <laughs> you poured it for effect. You should have told me not to pour mine before I got on screen. <laughs> so we we I'm gonna sit back and then I'm gonna enjoy this. I'm gonna Oh yeah, oh yeah. So my younger self should really have been ashamed. As I as I enjoy this, uh Don Angelo, I, I really would love for you to share a little bit more about uh who you are, uh what you do. And how you do it, because it really does come from, uh, I believe, a deeper person inside of you, right? This this does not seem to be a job. This seems to be an expression of who you are. Uh, so I would just love to share that with my audience. So I'm going to enjoy this this Hill Rock. And uh, if you could just share a little bit, that would be great. You know, my tagline for my company even reads what it is that I do. My commitment is better humans, better leaders. I love being in the company of those who are reaching for a greater greatness than the greatness that they already are, which means the people that I work with typically are leaders in nonprofits, Fortune 500, middle market, or hyper-growth startups. And they are on a path to become something that they may not be at this moment, and or they're looking to get better at their effectiveness as leaders. Now, there are other people that I work with on occasion who are not necessarily coming to me because they are in a corporate situation, but yet they're still leaders. My definition of leadership or leader is an individual, a human who has the capacity to impact another starting with themselves. So the work that I do more often than not, it's centered around self-leadership and then how does that 
impact other people. I've been doing this full-time for 14 years. I am a lover of humanity, and that's why I choose to do it. And I want to be clear that when I say I'm a lover of humanity, yes, I have compassion. Yes, I have empathy. I can be sympathetic at times, and I hold people. But the way that I hold you and the way that I love you as a human to another human does not mean that my love is always nice. Because I have no problem being candid and striking you with my words such that you can hear me and hear them within your soul, which will then cause you to reflect and change who you are now and who you will forever be. That's strong. And, and I tell you that that is the energy that people can feel. And even if, and I've talked a lot about this, this truth, this knowing that people have, even if you can't articulate it, you can sense what you know. And, you know, I want to get right into some questions because I don't know if you've thought this through or not. You probably have. What is it that makes people nervous around other people who aren't afraid to be truly in the space? that they're not mincing their words, they are willing to be candid, and they are willing to own whatever the ramifications might be for that candidness, because there's a courage there that is often intimidating to other folks. I've never been asked that question, nor have I actually, I've thought about it for myself in terms of there are people who I find myself nervous around. And from where I sit, and the experience that I've had that I'm, I'm still getting better at, right? And so I have my flaws as human. And the thing that I know that keeps me nervous around those people is that it appears that they have something that I don't. Whether or not that be their success, whether or not that be they're more sure of themselves or, or appear to be more confident than I am, it can, or, and it has made me at having a loss of words when I'm around those people. And it does not happen often, but it does happen. And the thing that I believe happens as I'm thinking about it in terms of who I am when that has happened is that I don't see myself in them. Because if I did, it would even, it would even out the playing field. And all they are is another human. They have their shit going on much like I do. The other thing I think is that we tend to put them on a pedestal. They didn't ask to be there. We put them there. And so put them back on the floor with you or in my case with me. And if you have to envision them naked or wearing no socks and shoes, just like you, whatever that is for you to ensure that you know that they're no better than you because of their position, their title, their money. None of that means anything. Leadership has nothing to do with any of that. And so many people think that it does, and it does not. Mm. Boy, that is so true. I can tell you that I, you know, I had to be conscious about doing that very thing that you just described because we have a, I think we all have a tendency to think that the other person knows everything that I know, and then they have this extra special something that I don't know. And because of that, if, if I'm dealing with someone who knows everything that I know, and then they know this extra thing that I don't know, then that automatically puts me in an inferior 
position in my mind. And, you know, I have to be conscious when I'm working with executives or talking to other leaders. I'm, I'm on this campaign to redefine the word humility. Mm. And I talked about this in uh, as we ended season one, in that usually if someone says, Don Angelo, you, you really need to be a little bit more humble. Usually what they're intending and usually what you take from that is that you need to play down the things that you do really well, right? Just kind of calm that conversation down. And those things, those weaknesses that you have, demonstrate to the room and to the world that you really acknowledge those and that you own them. And uh, so you're playing up the things that you don't do well and you're playing down the things that you that you do well. And that's usually what they mean. And that's usually what we take from that. And And my campaign for redefining humility is simply embracing the reality of being human. And if you embrace the reality of being human, that means there are some things that I'm just not good at. And, you know, I can try, I can study for the next 15 years and I'll, I'll go from being terrible to being just bad, right? There are just some things that are just that way. But there are some things, <laughs> if you're looking for someone to elevate in this specific area, I might not be the best dude on the planet, but I'm probably one of the top three or four dudes that you will ever meet for some things. And that's with everybody. That's with every, everyone has that something that not only are they good, they know that they're good and everyone around, uh, everyone around them knows that they're good. And it's our responsibility as humans to own both of those equally so that you can show up fully and contribute where you can. You know, again, that, that's kind of a, I'm, I'm gonna step off my stomp and, and let you react to what I just shared. I think you know that I did some work with Steve Chandler, who's in some cases, people have recognized him as the godfather of coaching. And Steve has a coach. And this man charges $250,000 to $500,000 for a year. Wait, wait, back, back up, back up. Say that, say that again. We want to make sure we got clear airwaves so that people pick up what you just said. So let's say that one more time. So forgive me for not remembering his name at the moment. He came to class. And I mean, even on his website, he has all of these CEOs or famous people that he has worked with acknowledging him for the work that he's done with them. And he charges 250 to 500 K a year. And he's called the ultimate coach. And what I loved about him, he's one of those people, his energy comes in the room and you're like, what the hell is happening? Who is that? He's one of those people. And he was one of those people for me specifically. He said to me, if you don't think you are the best, who will? And so people ask me how good I am. I tell them I'm fucking fantastic. And actually those words don't even clarify what it is that I do for people in their lives and their leadership. I say that to say humble, humble for what purpose? Now there's a difference in arrogance that offends people and knowing that you are just fucking amazing at your craft. I've been called arrogant. 
I say to you, if that's what I am to you, so be it. Now, I'm one who is, I'm quite concerned and think a hell of a lot about the impact that I have on people. It's the work that I've chosen to do for my life. And so when you say I'm arrogant, what does that mean? Because a lot of people have a different, have different definitions for that, depending on the context that it's coming from. And therefore, context is decisive. And when you tell me I'm arrogant, thank you. I appreciate your perspective. Now, what would you like to talk about? I love it. I love it. You know, one of uh, I'm reflecting back on one of the, this was the second leadership position that I ever had. And I'd just gotten promoted and uh, was excited to be, I think I'd just risen to the director level. I was a manager before, but I'd just risen to the director level. And so I was excited to be there. And I had a, I had a posture of, I'm just so happy to be here. Thank you so much for this opportunity. And, and I'm just willing to learn. And that, and that was my posture. And I had, I, I got some advice from the hiring manager. So the VP that hired me, he sensed that, he noticed that. And he said, you know, hey, hey Galen, the people on your team, they want to feel like they got the absolute best that they did not, that they're not sacrificing, that they did, they're not getting second best, they're getting the absolute best. So you might want to, you know, I appreciate your appreciation, but you might want to reevaluate how you're showing up because right now you're not showing up as if you were the absolute best. Mm -hmm. And I, I take that to this work here. I don't know of any executive that wants to hire the second best coach that they can find. I don't know any executive, I haven't met any executive that brags about the cheapest coach they could find <laughs> or, you know, the coach that was really, really looking for an opportunity. And, and uh, boy, I was able to give him, give him some business when he didn't, he didn't have any business. I think everyone you know, our, our work is coaching, but I think that translates to everything, right? Any any job, any career. I love when you said this is your craft. So anything that people can take as their craft, their life calling, I think folks want to know that they're dealing with the best. And if you don't believe that you're the best, <laughs> then you're sending to the other people, you're you're transmitting to the other people that they got something other than the best. I was told that I was arrogant, that I was tardy, that I didn't consult with someone when I was going to take care of an issue with my elderly father. And he said something else. And the thing that came to me was that, huh, all these things you've listed are the things that I've been told about, about being a black man all my life. And I went to check him on it. And it didn't come from him. He didn't share this with me. He said it to someone else and someone, and that person said, can I have a conversation with you? I said, sure. And so she ran off this list and arrogance was one of them along with those other things. And so I went back to have a conversation with him. And then I checked with about six or seven other people about their impression of me and the impact that I had on them so that I can be clear about what it is that I was giving off. And had a conversation with him and I said, white man um, from Europe. And I said to him, 
I think you have implicit bias. And he said, what are you talking about? I said, these things that you have listed off are the things that have been said about black men, black women, for as long as I can remember. And that doesn't sit well with me. And if you're going to call yourself a coach, and if you're going to be training people in the world to do this work, you should look at that. So for him, that was more arrogance coming from me because I was willing to challenge what he meant by arrogance. And so the issue with humanity, even when they call someone else arrogant, is the unwillingness to be curious about the other human being. So we call people names and we call people names because we're ignorant and we choose to be interesting. And what I mean by interesting is saying what it is that you need to say instead of being interested in the other human being that you have thoughts and or assumptions and expectations about. So it would have been a different conversation if he had said, I'm interested in, in your presence or how you deliver what it is that you deliver. Can you tell me more? If he would have approached it from being interested instead of thinking that what he says is right or what he says is the truth, it would have been a different conversation. Because we as human beings believe that we are right, which means that we think that our righteousness is the truth. And I want to put parentheses around the or the, which doesn't leave room for anything else. When you think you are the truth or when you think you are right, everybody else and everything else is wrong. That's not a person or a leader who's interested in anything else other than their truth. I want you to consider, and anybody who is under my voice, that there is no right, wrong, good, or bad. All there is is what is, and the impact of that. And if you're willing to stand in that space, you will know that your truth is not the only truth. It is one of possible many, and therefore it is a truth, not the truth. Hmm. Wow. I, I hope people are taking notes. <laughs> I, I, if you're not taking notes, I blame myself because I should have told you at the top of the conversation that you need a pen and a notepad or right on the back of your hand or something, because <laughs> this is what, and, and we're talking about coaching because that's what, that's what Don Angelo and I share together, this, this passion for coaching. And uh, I'm going to tell you, Don, Don Angelo was one of my original coaches. When, when I, when I decided that I wanted to do this thing for real, there were a number of people that might have been easier for me to talk to. Uh, there are a number of people that I, you know, I, I could sit back and say, yeah, you know, I'm this is probably going to be a, probably going to be an easy conversation, but I didn't feel like those, that those coaches, those consultants were going to help me evolve into who my clients are going to need me to be. Because when you play at the level that we play, Usually our clients don't have anyone else who will tell them the truth, e either because they don't know how to tell them the truth, or it could be career limiting, right? It takes a lot of guts to talk to someone who's two levels above you and say, look, look, boss, you're, you're, you're not quite living up to what 
our mission statement says that we're supposed to be doing and I need you to step up your game, right? That that takes a whole lot of courage. And so that's why executives hire coaches to come in and help them get better. And you've got to have the courage to tell the truth in the face of uh, what could be nerving, right? What could be scary? I want to share this one comment with you and, and get your and get your impression on this because I've talked about this uh, Netflix show, uh, The Coach's Playbook, and Serena Williams, this coach, says you've got to be willing to risk being fired. If you're not willing to risk being fired, then you're not willing to go where you need to go in order to get the most out of your client. In his case. Uh, out of uh, Serena Williams, who came to him when he when she came to him, she was already the best in the world. She was already the best in the world, and obviously a trophy for any tennis coach to have on their shelf. And he said, "I had to risk. I had to be willing to risk getting fired in order to be the kind of coach that she needed." So let let me throw that to you. What's your reaction to that comment? Because that that statement seems to sit alongside of my image of Don Angelo. <laughs> Listen, so it's interesting that you say this, Brock, because this has come up uh, a few times recently. I had a chemistry interview with a C-suite executive at a Fortune 500 high-end fashion company. And the question that he asked was, had I ever fired a client before? And I said, of course. And the reason why I've fired clients before is because they're not willing to do the work. And I'm not here to play games. I can get money from anywhere. And so I'm not willing to be on a call with someone who is talking about the same shit over and over, week after week, month after month. I'm not willing to do it. You want to do that kind of work, you need to see a therapist. I'm not a therapist. I once had a client, senior executive, city of New York, who worked for government, C-suite, and you were on the call listening, right? Along with some others. Unintentionally, of course, I was on the phone with him and you were all on video waiting for me to to uh, join the call. And so no confidential issues were at play. But I said to him, what are we doing here? Because you show up to these calls and you're not doing the work. And I refuse to allow you to tarnish the reputation that I have created as a kick-ass MFN coach. We're not going to do it. So here's your homework. You are to go and draw your gravestone and write out a speech what those who love you would say about you when you have left this earth. Came back, and instead of drawing a gravestone, he went and bought a figurine tombstone, not tombstone, casket, and put it on his desk to remind him of not playing small and that we have work to do for as long as we have breath in our bodies and are on this earth. So I say that to say that those who are not willing to risk it all are doing their clients and themselves a disservice. I had a client today, first call we've ever had. His father was someone who ran Ponzi screen schemes and made a significant amount of money. 
took money from family, took money from friends, had been incarcerated quite a few times. And so while he does exceptionally well, he could do even better. And he has lived a life where he's not willing to be ambitious because he fears that it will hurt people. This is his belief. And for all of you who are under my breath, once again, whatever beliefs you have show up in your word choice and your actions or lack thereof. And so in this case, I said, I risk it all. Toward the end of our conversation, I said, you know, I would be, I would be foolish to leave this off the table. So let me put it on the table now. What are you willing to give up to not be your father? Because he wants to do other things in the world. Ambition is not on his list of things. So how is that ambition not being served to enlighten and enrich the lives of the people around you? And he was like, what did you say? I didn't stutter. And he sat quietly. He said, you know what? No one has ever asked me that question. That's something I'm really going to have to be with because you're right, it's in the way. Hey, it's not too late. Hit that subscribe button so you're sure to catch the next episode. If you're really enjoying the vibe, leave us a review or become a VIP for guests and show exclusives. Cheers. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.